the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, after one of the maddest J1 weekends in recent memory, uh, I can't wait for the three part mini series that will be the J League Judge replay show this week. Oh, I know. They're going to, yeah, as you say, you might get a good series out of that. I mean, you might as well play the jingle now because it seems to crop up in so many games. And to have two games that go from 3-1 to call down the other end for penalties for 2-2 is just absolutely incredible. So, yeah, another wacky weekend in the J-League. And uh, I'm delighted that we're going to have another, a special guest on this week. Our first-timer is Rio Nakagawara. Uh, you might know him from the Shogun newsletter and all his anal- analytical work that you see on Twitter. It's always fantastic. So, Rio, how are you? Uh, hi, Sam. Hi, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Um, I'm vacationing in uh, Kansai, and um, I was able to watch uh, two, of the, two of the games live this weekend at the stadium and one... Um, my hotel room on my very bad hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> but yeah, happy to be on. Thanks. Excellent. And with first-time guests, we always ask just to tell you tell the listeners a little bit about themselves, how they got into the J League. So yeah, Rio, what's your story? Um, yeah, it's um, like I've always been a big you know football fan, and I you know I've been playing since I was a little kid. But like in terms of the J League, I never really got into it because um, I lived most of my life outside Japan, actually. Um, so it was only really when I came back to Japan um, five year, around five, five years ago, um, after coming back home from grad school in, um, in the UK, that I really started to uh, watch a lot more J League. And um, yeah, I'm, I became a FC Tokyo fan. And um, yeah, hey. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and since then, yeah, I've been watching more and more and more J League to the point where I'm like, I, I probably watch a lot more J League than I do European football, um, which is a, like a big change from when, when I was a little kid. So yeah, yeah, it's been really fun, really exciting, and it's a really fun and interesting league to talk about. Yeah. All right, brilliant stuff and uh, very well handled there, Sam. Uh, excellent. I think you've got a, a definite future in in podcast hosting. Um, uh, Rio, you mentioned, yeah, an FC Tokyo supporter. Um, to my surprise, uh, I'm not sure how much of a surprise it was to you, uh, Tokyo won away at uh, Hiroshima on Saturday in the early game. Uh, that was the one you watched on your uh, dodgy hotel Wi-Fi. And we'll, uh, we'll check in on that game before we finish up with you. But, um, yeah, the two games you're at, in the Kansai region on, uh, well, firstly, on Saturday night, uh, on the big stage at the Noivir Stadium, uh, Kobe hosting Yokohama F. Marinos, the leaders hosting the defending champions. And then, uh, yeah, I guess you had a double dose of uh, Kansai versus Yokohama, didn't you? As uh, on Sunday, uh, you headed to the Panasonic Stadium to watch Gumba and uh, Yokohama FC uh, uh, with a, a, a meet-up on uh, both occasions uh, with uh, members of the the J-League J-Talk Massive, which was um, really great to see on the Patreon-only line group. Um, yeah, meeting up with Stuart and some of the F Marinos guys on the Saturday night and um, Peter and Johnny as well on Sunday. So I'm sure it was, uh, well, I don't know, want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure it was great to, to catch up with those guys for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked to so many of these guys um, through the line group on well, the Patreon line group and, um, you know, also on Twitter. Right. But like, you know, it was my first time actually meeting any of them face to face. So it was really 
nice to put, um, you know, a face to all the words um, and all the messages I've been um, getting from them. So, yeah, it was great. It was really, it's really nice to uh, meet people face to face after, you know, so many long years of COVID where that was kind of, you know, taboo or weird. Yeah. Uh, you said in the green room this was your first time to both of these stadiums. So what did you make of the atmosphere at both games? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic, especially the the Bissell Kobe versus Marinos game. Like the stadium is, you know, one, like one of maybe, well, maybe saying one of the few is a bit mean, but like, you know, it's a, a stadium without a track running around, you know, the outer edges of the field right so like it's a really close atmosphere and it's really loud and like it's not it wasn't just the Viso Kobe supporters that were really loud but there are lots of lots of Marinos fans coming all the way from Yokohama and they made a lot of noise and it was a, it was a really fantastic atmosphere and I, I don't know if you were able to hear you know all the chanting and singing going on in full voice from the, the zone feed but yeah like it, it was an amazing match to be in and um yeah yeah, brilliant stuff. And yeah, speaking of uh, get-togethers, I'm still hoping to get a leave pass for the uh, the Tamagawa Classico at um, the National Stadium on the Friday night, uh, early on in May. So yeah, m- maybe I-, I might be able to catch uh, catch up with you and some of the other guys uh, there as well. That uh, Rio would be uh, that would be terrific. But yes, still to be determined, and ultimately not my decision. But yeah, uh, maybe I will see you there. All right. So yeah, we've already started talking about the atmosphere at the Norview Stadium on Saturday night. So let's chat about the game um a huge occasion as we said it had the the big stage on the saturday night all to itself and um well i guess in such a high profile match at real the pressure was always going to be ramped up to 11 and um i don't know if it got to young f marino's right back riku yamane and the new goalkeeper jun ichimori or not but they certainly got their wires crossed didn't they in the 19th minute uh, when uh, the kobe center back Yuki Honda sent a long ball forward looking for Koya Yuruki um, with, uh, I don't know, maybe a flashback to the first season of Ange Postacoglu when Hiroki Ikura used to just uh, meander about 30 yards from his goal, uh, not doing much at all. Uh, yeah, Ichimori was miles outside his box and uh, Yamane's attempted header back to him, basically put the ball on a plate for Yuruki to walk the ball into the empty net. Certainly not the uh, the start the visitors were looking for. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think Kobe did really, really well pressing hard from the start of the game. And like um, Haria Ide and Osaka were working really hard to cut off, you know, Marinos' access into the center uh, for um, uh, Kota Watanabe and Takiyakita. So like they were having a really hard time trying to string passes together from the back. And like, you know, in the beginning of the game, they were mostly kind of trying to escape that high press through, you know, long diagonal balls into the wide areas, but, um, you know, Viso Kobe are such a very, like, solid unit defensively nowadays, which is, you know, re- re- weird saying this now, right, you know, in the past couple of years, they've been a bit dodgy <laughs> in that sense, but yeah, you know, Yamaguchi and uh, Mitsuki Saito, they were so quick to help support their uh, fullbacks, and um, whenever the ball came to El- Elbear or Mizunuma um, on the long balls, they, they were on them on the flash and they were able to recover the ball really quickly and uh, counterattack themselves. So, yeah. And at least in terms of the, in, of the uh, first goal, yeah, like I think Riku Yamane was, his decision to head it back was the right one 
But I, I mean, yeah, I guess like Ichimori just didn't, you know, let Yamane know that he was, you know, coming up to get the ball. And like, I guess, yeah, that's kind of why, yeah, Yuriki was able to sneak in the score there. Yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, I completely blame Ichimori in this situation. He's got the complete map of everything. The best that can happen if Ramane leaves it is in with a 50-50 challenge with Yuruki. He's never going to be able to completely sweep it away. So it was really poor from him. There's obviously a lack of communication, which is why Yamane heads it back. I think Ichimori just has to stand his ground. I don't see what he can possibly gain from coming out of his area in that position. And yeah, it really cost uh, F. Marinov straight away and they were right onto the, back, onto the back foot because I thought Kobe started this game man, superbly I thought yeah everything that Rio said there I thought they were in relative control I thought that midfield as usual was magnificent Saito and Yamaguchi both put themselves forward as players of the season so far and yeah they were in complete control and uh, yeah it only kind of continued as the half went on actually for Kobe Absolutely. Did, did you get a flashback to 2018, Sam? Because I certainly did. You know, Ikaro used to just uh, wander around uh, for no apparent reason. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe it was the noise inside the stadium. Ichimori couldn't get his message across to Yamane that he was coming out. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a bit messy. Uh, and, yeah, 10 minutes later, it was 2-0 after a sumptuous cross in from the left by Yuruki was uh, headed in, well, off his face by uh, Yuya Osako. And, Sam, well, yeah, I mean, it was a, a dream start for Kobe. Um, it looked a long way back into the game for F. Marinos. As we'll come on to, they were actually straight back into the game within five minutes. But, yeah, this start for uh, for Kobe was uh, an absolute dream for them. Yeah, at this point, you were kind of fearing for F. Marinos because Kobe were in such control of the game. The way they were playing the ball out, like, uh, this starts off with a wonderful ball from Muto into Yuruki. They constantly tried those diagonal passes. Obviously, Yamane is a target. Um, young player, midfielder, really playing at right back. Yuruki had him, like, because he was dominating for most of this game, especially in this first 30 minutes. So it's a great ball out to him. Gets the crossover. Osako in behind, uh, I think it was Sonoda at this point. Lovely header, and it was a really good goal. And, yeah, at the, that point, Marinos were really struggling to cope with Kobe, but you've got to give them a lot of credit for the um, the response that they had later in the first half. Indeed, indeed. Now, Ryok, if you could take us behind the curtain here, uh, you're, you're, you're well known on um, uh, posting on Twitter and, and, and recently uh, since you started your Shogun Soccer newsletter for um, for making, um, I don't know what the technical term is, is it, is it a goal map or is it a, a pitch map of, um, you know, mapping out where players are on the pitch and where the ball is, is sent uh, as a goal is uh, is basically constructed? I mean, I don't think you really need to bother with one for the first goal, do you? Because um, it's basically just three players involved, well, four, including Honda. But uh, yeah, if you were to make one for the second goal, um, which ended, yes, as we said, with Yuruki um, uh, crossing for Osako, but also with Muto and other players involved in the build-up, what, what sort of a, um, a process goes into making something like that that, that looks um, you know, so impressive? Or to some, it might look a bit confusing, but it obviously makes perfect sense to you. But yeah, in terms of putting something like, like that together, um, how long does it take and what sort of an angle of the pitch do you need to have to, to make sure you know where everybody is, et cetera, et cetera? Right. So, yeah, I normally call these tactical diagrams or, um, yeah, um, and I use this uh, special kind of software app called Tacticalista to uh, make these. And, um, yeah, for, like, the second goal, like, I would actually start pretty um, – 
far back before uh, Muto's crossfield pass, actually, because that move really started because of really, really good build-up play uh, from Viso Kobe, which, you know, it's it's something that, you know, we don't really normally associate with Kobe, right, even this season, because, like, n- normally it's like, oh, we'll just kick it up to Osako, he'll settle it, and then, you know, the wingers go really fast down the wings and cross it back in. But this one, like, is if you go, um, if I look at my notes, um, the timestamp, if you start at around 27th minute, 35th second, um, it's it's really interesting because you can see how um, the midfield three of uh, Haria Ide, uh, Miski Saito, Yamaguchi are all, like, rotating into different positions. Because, mm-hmm. like, normally you can, um, you know, Saito is usually the deepest, but in here, he is, like, the first one forward. And then that kind of, like, movement drags the Marinos players around and creates space for each of these different midfielders to then pass the ball from. Uh, they start out on, the, out on the left, and then they're able to, um, you know, switch it over to the right. And then eventually, yeah, uh, Muto uh, collects, uh, I think it was, like, a clearance from Nagato or Tsunoda, and then that's when he sees Yuruki completely open on the far side, and then, you know, and then he does the diagonal ball across, and then, you know, we all know, we all saw what happened afterwards, right? But yeah, um, for, like, when I'm creating these diagrams, like, this is actually, like, the uh, part of, you know, writing these reviews that take up the most time, because, like, I have to, like, you know, review the footage over and over again and then to like you know drag the different players around into the right place and then you know draw you know arrows pointing it to the to who passed it to who and then you know uh create all these annotations to um you know describe like what's happening and why it's happening especially Mm. right Mm. like the way i write tactical reviews for you know shogun soccer or just on twitter is so that it's, you know, it's easy to understand for anybody. And, like, that's because, like, you know, there's there's no point in me, you know, using, like, really difficult terminology or or all that kind of stuff if, if you know, if no one understands it, right? And, like, that's kind of why I use a lot of these visual aids to kind of, you know, make it easier for uh, people to understand what's happening uh, when it's, um, you know, when it's a bit difficult to describe certain things with words, right? And, like, there's always going to be times where, like, I have to kind of use certain terminology that most people wouldn't understand, like, most wouldn't, wouldn't be familiar with. But, like, being able to see that picture, um, you know, on your screen is like, oh, like, that. this is what he means, like, that kind of stuff. So, like, yeah, that's really important for me when I'm writing up these reviews. Yeah. Rightio, then. So the the first half hour of this game definitely belonged to the hosts. But, uh, yeah, the final 15 minutes of the first half saw F. Marinos fight back to parity at the break in the 33rd minute. Uh, I think we all got a bit of a surprise when uh, Kota Mizunuma popped up in a central area, but he sent to Anderson Lopez right down Main Street with a lovely through ball and the big man slotted past Daya Maikawa with a terrific first-time left-footed shot. Uh, in the 33rd minute with a Kota Watanabe completing the comeback in first half stoppage time with a tremendous first time curler 
from the edge of the box from a Mizunuma cutback. Uh, yes, more at home, obviously, on the right wing, usually Mizunuma. But, yeah, mixing things up with, uh, yes, both of his assists towards the end of the first half. So, Sam, uh, when exactly did they begin to rest back some semblance of control in this game? Because, as uh, you and Rio both said, uh, Kobe made a, a terrific start. Did uh, the hosts maybe take their foot off the gas slightly after the second goal? Because uh, F. Marino certainly worked their way well and truly back into the game. Yeah, I'm not sure that'd be fair to say that Kobe took their foot off the gas necessarily, but I think at 2-0, when they were faced with that, Marinoff really stepped it up a gear. They started to move the ball a little bit quicker, and I thought they managed to finally get through that midfield, which was so solid for the, that first half an hour. And once you do that, there is still that weakness in behind for Kobe. That centre-back pet partnership, as well as they have played this season, as well as Hatsai, who I think defensively is a little bit weak. I think they managed to get through that, and then the goal they score, the first one, it goes straight through the centre, which Honda is out of position, and then Hatsai doesn't quite cover it, and it's really quite simple, really, to get through the, mid- the uh, centre of the defence, which you wouldn't expect uh, usually from how well Kobe have defended this season, but yeah, it was a good ball through from Izanuma, and uh, Anderson Lopez finishes well, and that, that gives them a bit more confidence. They stepped it up a little bit more. The, there was more pace in the way that they were playing, and uh, yeah, they just then kind of got in behind Hatsay a couple of times. They yeah, just kind of moved Kobe around a little bit more, and uh, yeah, that increase in tempo, I thought, is uh, what really got them back into the game at the end of this first half, and then when you score a goal as good as Watanabe's, I mean, yeah, it was a terrific strike pinged into the top corner. Absolutely, so they're obviously champions for a reason, Rio, and um, yeah, we're able to hit back to, to 2-2 before the break, so yeah, uh, you go along with Sam there, what did you see from uh, from F. Marinos in the last 15 minutes of the first half that saw them work themselves back into the game? Right, so from um, from how I saw it, saw it, it was more that Vissel Kobe kind of um, tampered down their press just a bit, just a little bit. I think um, going going on to take that two nil lead very early on actually kind of hurt them in the uh, build a little bit, and you know like obviously like Viso Kobe weren't going to be able to press this hard and this you know quickly all game long, but I also felt that they kind of um, you know put their well I guess like what kind of what you said Ben like put their foot off the gas just a little bit not too much right. But just a little bit. But then that allows, you know, Marinos just that extra bit of breathing room so that their center backs can start, you know, being able to thread those vertical passes into the uh, midfielders and also into Anderson Lopez and Marcos Jr., who I thought were really good at, um, you know, dropping into the those little gaps that appear um, in, uh, in, in the 4-4-2, you know, so like the uh, spaces in between um, Mitsuki Saito and Yamaguchi, but also like the spaces between the, um, the double pivot, the two midfield, the two Vissel Kobe midfielders and the fullbacks. And this is especially more so because um, the way Kobe press their um, wide midfielders or wingers, you know, they're pressed up really high so that there's that, that there's an even bigger gap appearing in, in those uh, half, half space areas more than usual, I guess. And yeah, um, yeah, I thought Hatanaka really drew into the game and was able to provide those passes into midfield. And then, you know, that was step one, right? Because, like, you know, 
So they're able to finally get from defense to midfield, from the, their own defensive third into the middle third of the pitch. And then from there, Marnos, as usual, they, you know, they throw so many players forward and um, try to making try to make runs behind the defense. And that, you know, that drags those um, Viso Kobe midfielders, you know, along with them to uh, help out their um, back four. And then that in turn creates more space in midfield for um, Marnos players. And like, um, so like Yamaguchi will like have to uh, keep track of runs and then that opens up the midfield because, you know, then only Mitsuki Saito is remaining in the center. And like he can't, like as aggressive and energetic as he is, he can't cover the entire width of the midfield by himself, right? And that's why, um, you know, like for the, um, for the first goal, Mizunuma was able to uh, receive the ball in the center with in, in, in completely free space, right? Because Yamaguchi was dragged out wide away from the center areas. And then Mitsuki Saito kind of had to shuffle over, which then meant in the right half space, well, right half space for um, Marinos, um, Mizunuma kind of cut in from the wing and was able to receive in that center area in, in space. So, um, and then, yeah, and yeah, so Marinos were able to continue doing that all of... Um, the last 10 or 15 minutes and like you know we even saw for like the second goal like Hatanaka was pushing up into that um and in, into you know Kobe's half because you know there that space was opening up for him to be able to uh, push into because uh so many Marnos players are dragging uh Kobe midfielders away from midfield um and especially the central areas yeah all right, then. So 2-2 at the break it was. And uh, two minutes after the restart, Kobe thought for all the world they were back on top when uh, Yoshinori Muto pounced on a poor touch by Ryotaro Tsunoda and squared for a delicious backheeled finish by Osako. Only for Vaz uh, drawn lines by uh, MS Paint uh, to come to F. Marinos's rescue. Uh, Sam, you requested it at, uh, during the intro, so I'll play the drop now. This week in VAR. This week in VAR. This week. And, uh, yes, yeah, Sam, talk us through this and uh, your overall thoughts on it because it looks to me for, uh, yeah, for all the world that Osako's level, but uh, VAR's seen something that I definitely haven't. Well, definitely nobody would have complained pre-VAR that this would count because he looks onside, most of his body's onside, it's only his, the tip of his shoulder as judged by the lines that are arbitrarily drawn out by a human, there's definitely a margin of error on that and yeah, they've given nothing away there, I mean, yeah, he's just offside, you're going by it if you're trusting those lines which are not always accurate. But, uh, yeah, Kobe, I've got to be furious with this because no part, like, it's just part of his arm. And half the time, he'd probably, if he scored with that part of his arm, they'd probably roll it out half the time anyway. Um, but that's where they're technically going to go by. His head's onside, the foot's onside, everything else looks onside. So you've got to be furious with it. But theoretically, uh, technically, by the letter of the law, it is the correct decision. And But Marinos really got away with one because Ichimori's pass out to Sonoda is poor. It's a bobbler. It's not crisp and enough. Sonoda even so should have controlled it. He doesn't. Muto straight on it. As uh, Rio says, the pressing from Kobe, it ramped up again at the start of this second half. They, it, Muto gets on it. It's a lovely ball, lovely goal. But yeah, it's just that's the smallest possible margin and uh, Kobe are going to have to be furious. But with VAR the way it is, that in place, it is still technically the correct decision. 
All right, then. Fair enough. Yeah, we just have to, um, as much as we don't like it, I guess we just have to accept it. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the goal was uh, disallowed and uh, play continued. Real, I don't really want to skip all the way to the 82nd minute and the uh, the eventual winner by Anderson Lopez. But, yeah, what did you notice as the second half progressed then? was it? Uh, did it go along a similar pattern where, as Sam said, Kobe started the brighter and, uh, and more aggressive? And uh, I guess basically, uh, well, did they wear down again as the second half? Uh, went on and allowed F Marinos to, uh, to to finally strike when they did inside the last 10 minutes or um, yeah was it a slightly different pattern to to the the first half yeah I think um Sam was right like the um Kobe definitely ramped up the press again from the start of the second half because you know clearly Yoshida realized that oh like we kind of you know, damped down the press, and then they were able, and Yokohama Marinos were really able to dominate those last 10 or 15 minutes. So, you know, yeah, it was really unfortunate that the um, that the goal was disallowed because, you know, like the the, the plan to press really hard and high again uh, from the start of the second half was, you know, was almost perfect, right? It just a very, very marginal. But yes, I agree that, you know, I agree with Sam that it was correct. Because, you know, by the letter of the law and, you know, by the uh, the lines um, made um, Osaka offside by, like, the slimmest of margins. But, you know, that's that's just how it is. So, um, but in terms of the second half, yeah, because Kobe were pressing really high again, you know, it really made the game a lot, uh, a lot more even. Whereas in the first half, it was, like, very clearly, you know, Visa Kobe were dominating the first part of the first half. And then it was Marinos' turn. But no, like the second half was a bit, you know, a lot more back and forth. But I feel like Marnos really had a lot of trouble creating a lot of clear-cut chances because even though they can get, they could get into the final third, like that last, you know, pass in or the cross was just lacking a bit. And that was also because, again, um, Ms. Okobe are just really, really hardworking and they get back into their um, two blocks of uh for, you know, like the defense and the midfield, and they're really, really tight, and they're hard to break down once they're able to get back. So, yeah. Fair enough then. And so to the winner then, Sam, it uh, it came via a terrific header from uh, alongside the penalty spot from Anderson Lopez uh, from a Jan Mateus cross after uh, Gotoku Sakai was uh, crowded out out by the touchline and uh, F Marinos broke. Um, the uh, yeah, it, it's a terrific brace from Anderson Lopez. And, I mean, I guess you can go on and chat about whether Kobe deserved a point on the evening. Muto's header coming back off the post just inside the last five minutes. But, um, yeah, a, a terrific way to win it for uh, for Anderson Lopez. Yeah, lovely header from him. And that's just what he's capable of. It's a really good technique on it. Um, no chance, really, for Mike Cower. It was uh, good work, actually. They pressed on Sakai, three players around him. Like, I was just... Gearing up before this, I thought Sakai had had a fantastic second half in terms of the way that he's contained Elbert, the press that he had uh, whenever Marinos came forward, and then his ability to kind of start attacks off. There was one where he wins it, plays it into Osako, gets it back, then plays that fantastic first-time pass to Yuruki, and just I thought he was fantastic up until this point where he gets robbed, and then once uh, Mateus gets it, I think he holds it very nicely. Good cross in, and yeah, fine header from Anderson Lopez and uh, yeah it was 
I thought, slightly against the run of play uh, at that point. I thought over the course of the 90 minutes, Kobe, for me, looked the more impressive side. Uh, yes, they've lost 3-2, and Marinos fantastic for, uh, to them for that. But I thought, yeah, I'm lucky with the Muto flicked header off the post. There was another one, I think it was a handball shout. I think it was against Sonoda. I don't think this was a penalty, but I know a lot of Kobe fans were disappointed they weren't given a penalty there. And I thought, yeah, just edged it, Kobe. They looked really... Yeah, they looked really good. There was a couple of issues. As, as I say, centre-back, I think, is a little bit of an issue. Yeah, and if Rio says that they can't continue that press throughout the 90, and if you're looking at their bench options, there are not really any great options to continue that. Sasaki comes on for E-Day. That's a, just a general substitution they made, and that's fine. But once you are trying to bring in Jean-Patrick and Andres Iniesta, you kind of lose a little bit of that. And I don't know if... Throughout the season, that might become more of an issue for Kobe if they run out of steam a little bit more towards the end of games. But I thought they played really well, and uh, I think it was very unfortunate for them to lose 3-2. I don't think they were deserving of a loss. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we did have a spotting of the uh, the lesser-sighted Iniesta uh, late on, didn't we, uh, Rio? But, uh, yeah, I guess overall in the cold night of day, once uh, once the dust has settled, uh, cliche, cliche. Um, yeah, how do you think... Kobe will uh, will process this. Uh, as, as you've both said, they were very impressive uh, on the evening and on another night. Yes, they might have taken down the uh, the defending champions. Um, I'm sure it'll be a, a tough one to take and it'll sting for a few days. But um, ultimately, do you think there's a lot they can take away from this performance, Rio, into into games coming up? They uh, they're obviously top of the pile, so I'm sure there is belief. Um, you know that they're uh, that the season is is going uh, very well for them. Uh, but yeah, despite this reverse, I guess that maybe this reinforces some of the the methods that um, the coaching staff have been getting across, and that they are capable of excellent performances like this, even though it didn't end up with the the result they wanted. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you know, Marnos had been one of the best teams in the league for like the past couple of years, right? And how Visokobe were able to play so well against them that you know that really bodes well for their season but yeah like sam said i am worried about them in the long run because of their you know squad depth squad depth issues right i thought john patrick was really really bad when he came on um on the left wing for UT. like a lot of attacks kind of ended with him with a poor pass or a poor touch or a poor dribble and um yeah like they're Bench options aren't great. Um, you know, like they had Lincoln back on on the bench after um, he came back from loan. And like I'm just really, I just have not been impressed by him at all in the past couple years. And then, you know, who else do you have? Like uh, Stefan Mugosa, who, you know, he, he, he looked really good in the K-League, but like he's never really done anything in the past like year and a half or two years that he's been at Kobe. So yeah, and yeah, again with the Andres Iniesta problem, like I've been saying for a while now that they look a lot better without him. And you know, this high, this whole this very high pressing, very aggressive style definitely doesn't suit Iniesta at all. So I'm not really sure where they can keep playing him or even even just giving him, you know, 10 minutes at the end of these games. Or is is really that useful? No, like maybe it would have been better if they just like thrown Leo Osaki in instead and then pushed um, a few other players up 
um, further up the field in, in in their midfield or something like that instead of having Iniesta on. But yeah, yeah. All right then. So yeah, terrific occasion, a fantastic match. Um, yeah, arguably the, the the game of the season so far in terms of the quality and um, yes, the defending champions um, winning the three points. And actually, um, interestingly, interestingly enough, easy for you to say. Um, yeah, they were the only team in the top six at the start of the match day to win in match day nine. So um, yeah, as we'll come on to uh, a lot of uh, uh, other teams in the top six dropped points, uh, but the uh, Kobe remain top of the pile after uh, nine rounds. F Marinos have moved to within two points of them now. All right. So on uh, Sunday, Rio, you headed to the Panasonic stadium uh, to again, to meet up with some of the, uh, the J talk massive for a Gumbo Osaka hosting Yokohama FC um, for, yeah, for, for, for many uh, of us, it wasn't quite as eventful uh, a, a game and it ended one, uh, one, a, um, a, a case of, very much, I think, Gumba supporters will think of uh, two points uh, not gained, whereas uh, Yokohama FC, maybe some things went right for them for a change and they were able to return from Kansai with a point. Maybe, um, yes, yeah, some of the luck that they had been denied in uh, in the first eight rounds, well, maybe they got it uh, in, in, in bunches in this game as uh, their uh, woodwork de- definitely took a, a bit of a hammering, especially late on in the second half. Uh, Yokohama FC welcomed back a helmeted Sven Brodersen in goal for his first league start of the season but uh, uh, after he was beaten low to his left by a, a clinical first time strike from the edge of the box by Gumba captain Takashi Usami in just the 13th minute it looked like they might be in for another long afternoon uh, real a, a terrific start for Gumba and um, yeah Usami's goal was uh, absolutely superb oh yeah definitely um Alano did really well there to, you know, uh, press, um, I think it was Caprini, um, and uh, dispossess him on the um, left wing, and then he dribbled all the way into the box. And, you know, like that, Jabali's, um, you know, little fake to uh, get the ball past him, and then, yeah, Usami was a great, great finish, low into the corner. He always, you know... He very clearly had that idea in his head as the, as the ball was go, uh, coming to him. And, yeah, it was a great, great, great finish. Broderson really had no chance with that. Yeah. What have you made with Osami's new position for Gamba this season? And like one of those um, midfield three positions, do you think it's really getting the best out of him? I know we've not seen too much due to his injuries, but it seems like he's more heavily involved than maybe in previous seasons. Oh, this is a really complicated question. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely been thinking about this a lot when watching Gamba. And it's, on one hand, like, yeah, you have Usami, you know, being able to be really effective in attack, um, supporting uh, Jabali up front. But in terms of, like, his defensive efforts, it's, like... I'm I'm really not impressed because like you know Usami's never been great defensively in the first place, but with like how the um, Gamba's formation changes between you know a 4-3-3 and a 4-4-2, you know when they're in possession and they're out of possession, it puts a lot of like you know it puts a lot of responsibility on Usami to you know move around and be in the right position, be um, you know helping out Jabali. Uh, press the center backs or, you know, 
track back um, and uh, support the midfield, and he doesn't really do that. And I guess we'll kind of talk about it when um, we get to uh, Yokohama FC's goal because that was caused by you know uh, Usami's well lax defending is a the kind way to put it. But yeah, like it's interesting how Usami, Netalavi, and usually usually it's been that one, right? Um, all kind of you know rotating around in that midfield three. Uh, one drops, one moves forward. One, uh, sometimes, you know, both uh, two players would, you know, form a double pivot, and then the um, whoever is left out would turn into the number ten, and it can be any one of those three, right? But um, it's yeah, like Asami's been able to do a lot in attack, but like his defensive ability leaves a lot to be desired, and that's been causing uh, Gamba a lot of problems, I think. So yeah, I think it's um something for Poyatos to think a lot more about. Yeah, because it's mostly been defensive problems for um, Gamba. That's been the problem this season, I feel. So, yeah. All right, then. So, uh, yeah, Rio mentioned uh, Jabali's intelligent step over to, uh, yeah, uh, give Usami the space to finish from uh, Juan Alano's cutback on the opener. And in the 27th minute, uh, Jabali had a header tipped over by Brodison. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Yokohama FC almost hit back with a couple of chances in quick succession for main man Koki Ogawa. First, he pulled a shot across the face of uh, Kosei Tani's goal. And uh, two minutes later, he uh, Ogawa shot from 25 yards, but it came back off Tani's left-hand post, hit the keeper, but uh, bounced to safety. Again, the Yokohama FC supporter might, be think, might have been thinking at that point, well, it's not our day again if that's not going to hit Tani and, uh, and go in or even hit the post and go in in the first place. But... Uh, two minutes before the break, the visitors did draw level. Uh, Caprini's outswinging corner headed in to the net by Boniface and Duca. Uh, their first of the season, not scored by Ogawa or own goal. And uh, Sam, I guess we've uh, we've seen Induka uh, score a couple into his own net so far this season, so it will have been hugely satisfying for him to uh, to nod one in. It will be. I'm not sure he knew as much much about this one as it like, compared to the uh, own goals either. It kind of hits him. I don't think it goes in necessarily the place he was directing it, but I don't think it'll matter. He was kind of sandwiched by converging defenders. It was dreadful, really, defending from Gamba. Like three um, defenders all end up on the floor around Unduka as he scores, and he seemed uh, a little bit confused that he scored, but he was delighted anyway. And it was a uh, yeah, a, a good moment for him because his season has been very difficult. He's struggled with the step up. I think defensively he's been really poor besides the own goals. And yeah, it's just been a real baptism of fire for him. But great for him to get um, onto the score sheet. But yeah, it's it's a goal that Gamba really could have avoided. They, yeah, as Rio says, defensively they cause their own problems. There are plenty of individual errors as well as the formation, the way they're set up. It really leaves them a little bit open and quite easy to score against. So yeah, it was good for Yokohama. It was a good time to score, as they say, the old cliche. But, uh, yeah, Gamba will be kicking themselves. And, uh, yeah, Rio, what was uh, going on in the build-up to that that uh, really uh, caught your eye? Right, so um, the lead-up to that corner kick, it all happens because Usami just lets Inoue just, like, walk right past him. And then that forces, you know, Gamba's um, midfield and defense to really retreat. Uh, go on the retreat, right? Because Inoue has like so much space to just uh, take the ball on and dr- drive right through the center of the field. 
And um, right, so you, well, I think it was a no way, and then he passes to Caprini, and then Caprini goes on a run. But yeah, like I thought, Netel Lobby was really good this game, but like he can only do so much by himself, right? Especially with um, that one, um, usually pushed up a lot as well. Um, with um, how this midfield works out so and as you said like um, in terms of defense defending on corners that's also been a big problem for Gamba this season like set pieces have not been really good all right so and you said it after the game Sam you're not sure what happened to the the Gamba squad at halftime did they break some mirrors uh, in the dressing room or did uh, they all walk out uh, under a ladder or something but um yeah the number of chances they had in the second half and um yeah were unable to beat uh, Brodison I mean well now Hiro Sugiyama did but was uh, offside in the 65th minute before he slotted home and uh, yeah the goal was uh, correctly disallowed but then we had Usami hit the woodwork three times in the space of eight minutes uh, late on and uh, indeed Hiroto Yamami did uh, one more time for uh, for good measure in the 92nd minute so um, yeah Gumba were basically banging the door down but um, by hook or by crook Yokohama FC just about clung on to their point yeah just about I mean it was getting ridiculous towards the end every shot seemed to be just arrowed in on the crossbar onto the post it was just yeah I don't know how Yokohama got away with this I mean you're saying that making up for some luck the bad luck that they had previously but I think they've used up all their good luck for the rest of the season <laughs> to get, get that point it was just unbelievable uh, Broderson uh, it was great I was great to see Broderson back in goal obviously he's had a tough time with concussions but he's had a couple of league cup games and I think Obviously, he was beaten onto the post on a number of occasions, but he also made a few decent saves. But even so, the amount of chances Gamba had, they had to score here. And I really have no idea how they came away without without winning this game. Yoko FC will think maybe it's a a turning point for them, a little bit of a look, something they can build on. It's only a point, just about. But yeah, I still think they should have been battered three or four here at Yokohama FC. And I'm still struggling to take any positives out of their performance really I just it's I know it's only one team going down but still I can't see it not being anyone but Yokohama FC even if they get away with one here yeah I mean it, the, the the writing does appear to be on the wall real uh, but uh, as we said well I've said it a, a couple of times in the last couple of weeks they haven't been cut adrift yet and I mean yet is perhaps uh, the key word here and uh, maybe Gumba and uh, Kashua in particular will uh, will click into gear and I mean it would only take a couple of wins each for them to uh, to, to leave Yokohama FC in their dust but um, yeah have you seen much of anything at all apart from the, the goals of Koki Ogawa that could um, give Yokohama FC fans any sort of um, uh, any sort of decent hope that uh, that they might be able to avoid the drop this year? I mean, uh, either on Sunday or uh, from the season as a whole up to this point? Yeah, like, not. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Like, yeah. even today, Ogawa was, you know, outside of the box. Like, he was really ineffective, right? Because when he was trying to drop to receive the ball from, you know, the center backs or the midfield, like, um, Gamba, you know, Gamba Osaka, to their credit, you know, they did obviously did their homework and made sure, you know, someone was always following him and whether it was uh, one of the ste- uh, center backs um, stepping up or, um, you know, it was either Dawan or Lobby, Neta Lobby sliding over to pressure him whenever he tried to get the ball. So, yeah, in terms of that, Ogawa wasn't really effective. But, like, yeah, as we mentioned, you know, Ogawa is so, so good when it comes to, you know, receiving the ball in or around the box. 
like he's so quick to you know set himself up for the shot and like that's pretty much been like the only like saving grace for Yokohama FC in any match this season right they they're just about able to get uh Kokugawa on the ball and then he just he has that quality uh within him to uh, get the ball out of his feet and then quickly take a shot and it's you know usually good right but not all the time and like and it's also just they're not able to create enough for him to um score more than like maybe one goal maybe maybe two at most and that's and on top of their huge huge defensive issues um that's going to be a big big problem for them and in terms of gunboat real before we leave this game just quickly i mean yeah this was three points they would have had um not penciled into their schedule i'm sure they would have done it in permanent marker and um yeah they obviously created enough chances and hit the woodwork that many times that they could uh, feel really hard done to uh, that they haven't um, taken all three points but um yeah, their their frustration uh, builds and their frustrating season continues with just one win through their first nine games. Um, I mean, again, it's difficult to take thing too much away uh, from a game like this, but they've absolutely dominated the the chances in the second half. But um, uh, yeah, maybe they they have to properly sort out Usami's role, and uh, there might be some other issues that Danny Poyatos needs to work on. But um, I don't know. Do you, do you have much confidence that, that Gumba will be escaping the bottom six anytime soon and, and working their way up to mid-table? Or do you think it's going to be a real slog for them this year? Um, well, first of all, to take a slightly contrarian view, um, I'm going to say that a lot of Gumba's shots weren't actually great quality chances. And like even when they were you know, getting shots from like central, area, central areas in and around the box, but like especially by like around the 70th minute, like Yokohama FC just had so many players back in their box, right? And like they're they're just packing players in there, so like they were able to you know tighten the angle uh, for um, Gamba's attackers, and they were able to really funnel shots into very narrow or like really small openings, right? And I feel like a lot of Gamba's shots, um, especially when you're just watching the highlights, they look a lot more threatening. But that was based more on like the really great quality shooting skills from you know Yamami and uh, Usami rather than like you know Gamba creating these really clear cut chances that you know most players would have a good chance of scoring from. And I don't think they were really doing that. And a lot of that was, well, I think a, a lot of this can be brushed under the fact that you know Yokohama FC just has so many defenders in the box that you know it was just really easy to uh, kind of restrict. Gamba's, you know, uh, uh, view of the goal, right? But also, like, a lot of, like, when they're able to get into the box for crosses or cutbacks, the players weren't really optimally positioned. And, like, in a lot of cases, like, Dawan or Lana were waiting for cutbacks from, you know, let's say, Kurokawa or Yamami. But there was no one else making those those kind of, like, shall we say, like, decoy runs into the six-yard box to open up that kind of space for the cutback to, you know, be able to happen in the first place, right? Um, so, yeah, that's that's the uh, one, like, kind of contrarian uh, view I had on, you know, Gamba's chances for that match. Uh, but, yeah, in general, yeah, like, we kind of talked about this a lot earlier um, with, um, you know, Usami's role and how uh, Gamba's midfield is structured, right? So, like, uh, from my point of view on this match like 
you know, Gamba look really unbalanced, right? So you, sometimes you have too many players dropping to receive uh, in, you know, deeper areas, uh, trying to show for the center backs. But then that means, you know, there's less people to um, in attack to support Jabali when the goal and when the ball goes upfield, right? And there's always lots of players drifting, you know, from side to side, like Usami or Alano, but then that leaves no one to attack the box besides Jabali, right? And um, especially what I noticed in this game was Juan Alano, you know, he would uh, be dropping uh, deeper into midfield to, you know, help out in the buildup uh, and also to, like, uh, collect those second and loose balls from the long passes into Jabali. And, you know, that was, you know, that was actually quite productive, and he was um, able to um, help Gamba keep possession, uh, especially from the middle third of the field. But, you know, like, Alano's really, like, kind of freedom and, like, you know, drifting around meant that, um, you know, the entire, like, left wing of Gamba was, like, completely open. And it was, it, it was just so much responsibility and pressure on Kurokawa to um you know cover the entire width of the on the left hand side all by himself right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and yeah and I guess I I feel like maybe Kurokawa wasn't nearly as attacking as he usually was because you know like we've seen Kurokawa many times he'll he would be bomb he'll making those bombarding runs down the left wing and supporting crossing but maybe he was a bit um you know hesitant because of the the speed that uh, Yokohama FC had on the wings. Because, you know, we saw, especially in the first half, how Yamashita was, you know, running Riku Honda ragged down the right. And um, maybe yeah, Kurokawa was a bit cautious about that uh, from uh, Kondo, uh, from uh, his uh, opponent, which was, uh, I think it was Kondo, right? Uh, yeah. So, and, yeah, but anyway, back, sorry, a uh, bit of tangent there, but back to the point of Gamba's season yeah it's like originally i was a bit more optimistic about gamba because i liked how hoyatos was able to transform the possession game a, a lot quicker like especially a lot quicker compared to um katana saka's um attempts to um you know change gamba's play style, play style last year but you know those defensive problems um and those um you know, build-up problems are just mounting up and up. And then also you have the Usami problem that we've talked about in length uh, throughout um, this section of the podcast. So, like, yeah, like, it's the results just aren't going their way. And um, it's getting really, really dangerous for um, in terms of Poyatis' position as manager at Gamba Osaka. Yeah. Yeah, all right then. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure you had a, a terrific time at the uh, the Panasonic, uh, Panasonic Stadium there as a neutral. Um, I'm sure uh, Johnny was would have cast a, a frustrated figure uh, by the time the game finished. But, um, yeah, as we've said at the start, a great uh, for you, Real, to catch up with uh, some of the guys uh, ahead of the game and during the game. So that was, uh, that was absolutely brilliant to hear and indeed to, to see Stuart's photos uh, in the uh, the Patreon-only line group. All right, so... So, uh, yes, to the game you watched 
from your hotel room. Uh, it kick-started the match day on Saturday afternoon down in Hiroshima. Um, reading your uh, Shogun Soccer newsletter last week, uh, you were reviewed FC Tokyo's loss to uh, Cerezo, but I think overall the, the tone of your uh, your writing was that you uh, maybe weren't as uh, down on the way Tokyo had been travelling as maybe I was in uh, in last week's episode, and that's great. We're, uh, you know, we have different opinions, and uh, that's fantastic. And, um, yeah, so I, I guess uh, maybe your, uh, yeah, your more positive outlook was uh, was uh, yes yeah, shown to uh, to bear fruit on Saturday afternoon as Tokyo travelled down to Hiroshima. We know um, Tokyo certainly have their quirks, don't they? We know they always lose away at Tosu and just in general to Tosu wherever they play. If they played on the moon, I'm sure uh, Sagan would would end up thumping them. But yeah, for some reason they always seem to win two one away at Hiroshima. This is the third straight season they've won by the same scoreline. Uh, down at the Edion Stadium, and it was the somewhat unlikely figure of uh, Hotaka Nakamura who got them going with a header in the fifth minute, um, getting in front of uh, Shunki Higashi to head in a free kick from Kuryumatsuki. That came off three minutes after Nakamura cleaned Higashi out and uh, indeed was booked in just the second minute. And then uh, Nakamura made it assists in back-to-back games by cutting back for Shuto Abe to side foot home just before the half hour. So a, a very impressive start, well, at least in terms of the scoreboard, for for Tokyo going 2-0 up inside the first half hour. Yeah, definitely. Um, the first goal from um, Hotaka Nakamura, it was just a fantastic free kick from Matsuki, right? It's just such a great delivery, right? Um, you know, in that gap between, um, I think it was, I think it was Sasaki and Higashi on the far post, right? And that's where uh, Hotaka Nakamura made a nice run into that gap to score goals, score the goal, right? And, um, yeah, um, it's the first half was a bit weird because FC Tokyo, um, as usual, you know, they really kind of struggled initially against um, San Fritchie Hiroshima's press. And they, you know, this is something that's been the case for FC Tokyo for, you know, the past two years now, where, you know, there's even a slight modicum of a press against their center backs, and it's, you know, it's it's, it's a huge problem, and they can't get the ball up the field, or, like, they uh, immediately try to uh, kick it along to Diego. Um, but, you know, this time around, you know, those long balls into Diego worked out really, really well. And I thought Diego Oliveira definitely had an excellent game, especially against uh, someone like um, Araki, who's like you know one of one of the stronger, one of one of the better center backs in the league. Um, uh, so yeah. All right, and Sam, what did you make of the uh, well Tokyo going two 0 up, but um, yeah, it's struggling to deal with uh, Hiroshima's pressing as uh, as Rios mentioned. Um, yeah, and then uh, Hiroshima getting back into the game through uh, Takasa Morishima uh, seven minutes before the break. Yeah, well, the, I think the, uh, Albert Pusha would probably like better defenders in terms of the way that they are on the ball. I think they do struggle to really, when faced up with players, they struggle to maybe 
pick their path, maybe struggle to break the line. So, yeah, that was a difficult one. It always is against Hiroshima. They make it difficult for every team that they go up against with their relentless pressing. And they've got so many players that they commit to that press as well. So it is really difficult to get beyond that. But that's when a certain, when you go long occasionally, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And it gets them out of trouble a little bit more. And I think it helped Tokyo that they got that goal so early because I think it's to let the young, the kind of short right back win a header at the back post, I think is disappointing for any defence, as good as the ball is. I think they should have done better in that moment, but take nothing away from Nakamura. The header, um, he put in the great leap, great effort to get onto it. And I thought he had, a, yeah, as you mentioned, threw himself into tackles, got himself the assist. I love the assist afterwards because um, he passes it across. And once it goes in, he collapses as if he's won the World Cup. It's just, he's so <laughs> happy with himself and delighted. So I love that from him because he's yeah, had an up and down career really at Tokyo. But it's great to see him getting involved here. And then I, the way I looked at this Tokyo um, performance, it was kind of like, if you're playing like the latter stage of the Champions League, this was a really good away performance. So you got ahead, you got your counter goal on the counter attack. I thought it was really good play from Diego. Just like most players would be committed to just sprint forward on the counter attack, but he has such an awareness around him. He slows everything up, takes everything into account, plays that wonderful pass into Nakamura, and yeah, create helped create that space. It was really good play from them. And then afterwards, really. Like Hiroshima need like 20 odd chances to score a goal and Tokyo were able to limit them really well. I thought defensively they were well organised. I thought they limited the space that they had, especially with Morishima and missed them more so in the second half than the first. And yeah, it was just it was a very good defensive performance. It's not what I expect of an Albert Pucci team to play like. And I think going forward, there are still issues in terms of really him wanting to the way he absolutely wants them to play. But for this situation, I thought it was a really good performance. Absolutely. Well said, Sam. So, Rio, yeah, um, it's uh, they'd come in having not won in four league games. So a result was huge if they could get one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the point Sam makes there is, yeah, it wasn't um, seen out in, in typical Pucci style. And that's something that Alex Bishop mentioned in the in the line group as well and i wish i could quote alex word for word but i think there's been about 300 messages come through come through the group since a saturday afternoon so i, I you know i wouldn't even begin to try and go back and try and find exactly what he said but basically yeah it was words to that effect that um yeah this uh well i i'm sure alex was was happy to take the three points back to tokyo um you know with, with the side yeah it's um um i guess it in some respects it's another string to to tokyo's bow if they can see out results like these especially as hiroshima had the entire second half to uh, to 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 find an equalizer but correct me if i'm wrong i didn't see them really really banging down the door even though they brought on obviously their race up uh, michael skibber sleeve douglas vieira at half time but um yeah, uh, I guess that you know, the, and something that I've got to take into account is that the team is still evolving. This is a season and nine games under under Pucci so far, and um, yeah, I certainly appreciated the three points. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, did he uh, did he deviate? Um, uh, well, not too far, but a long way from his his normal methods to get these three points into his back pocket. Do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, at least to start off, like I think, you know, um, at least that, at least uh, FC Tokyo, we're still trying to, you know, build up from the back despite 
San Freche, uh, Hiroshima's, you know, very uh, intense pressure. And I think there were certain times, especially when uh, Tokimoto is um, involved from left back, uh, that, you know, the FC Tokyo are able to uh, progress up from um, the back. And that, that looks pretty good, right? Uh, but the thing is, you know, they can't do that consistently. And like, and then they have to rely sometimes a bit too much on Diego to like, you know, hold up the ball all by himself until help arrives. And yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Albert, Albert Pooch talks a lot about, you know, loving the ball, you know, you know, dominating possession, blah, blah, blah. But he's also a very kind of, takes the very realistic approach to games at certain times. Like uh, if you remember like the Nagoya game where he, uh, instead of his usual, you know, formation of four, like 4-3-3, four, three, three, you know, he mashed up with Nagoya to, you know, nullify, you know, their uh, wing backs and all that. Mm. And in this game, you know, uh, after FC Tokyo got that 2-0 lead, they played uh, really, really defensively. And um, I thought, you know, uh, Kuryu Matsuki and Kei Koizumi were fantastic for, for most of the game, right? Um, they were really, they're, they're so aggressive and they're so strong and, like, they're really good at closing down the spaces, especially in central areas. So, like, once, you know, San Francisco get the uh, ball out wide to their wingbacks, they, they completely, like, you know, shut down the passing lanes back inside. So, like, you know, they're, you know, all they could, all San Francisco could really do is just continuously, like, just keep crossing the ball over and over and over again. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to kind of, because I've said this before, where it's like FC Tokyo are always taking one step forward and then two steps back the next week. Um, It's, yeah, it's, and at least for me, overall, I am actually a bit, um, not maybe upset is too strong a word, but maybe like disappointed that, um, you know, after a year and, you know, nine games so far, we were still really struggling to even get to, let's say, from getting, getting from, you know, from the buildup to, you know, from the center backs to midfields, like point A to B. And then, you know, from midfield to, you know, the attack is B to C. We're, we're still struggling to get, you know, from A to B still after more than a year, right? And, like, that's been the uh, really, really... Uh, difficult thing to um, kind of take in because, you know, a lot of other teams, you know, they've been able to change their styles a lot more quicker. And um, and on the other hand, of course, you know, FC Tokyo don't have that kind of history of playing in this certain style. And like there has had to be a lot of, you know, player turnover, you know, all of that kind of stuff has to be factored in. And I, you know, I understand that, but like, after more than a year and more than multiple transfer windows where we've been, you know, swapping uh, players in and out, it's um, still a bit, um, you know, the progress is a bit slower than I expected. And, um, but still, like, as I talked about in the uh, review I wrote for the Ceresso match that you mentioned, Ben, uh, like, there, there is definitely, like, a lot of, you know, good moments, but, like, they're not consistent. Mm. And then, like... I talked about, like, when I was talking about the uh, Shonan game, like, we were able to, there's a lot of times where we're able to build it up, you know, like what I talked about, get from point A to point B, get from um, 
the center backs into midfield, but from midfield into the final third or even into the box, that's where things, you know, kind of break down. And like those kind of, you know, sequences of possession, those don't show up in the highlights. So for a lot of people, like they don't know, they won't be able to see, you know, like the, like the, 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 uh, actually uh, actual good parts of certain performances compared to, you know, someone who might be, you know, watching games really closely, you know, every, like, and um, being able to see certain things in more detail. But like, it, it is still uh, frustrating that um, you can see what they're trying to do and, like, you can see, you know, how the uh, players are, you know, you know, trying to answer, you know, Pooch's, uh Pooch's uh, instructions, but it's just not coming off. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, like the frustration is definitely building up uh, for like a lot of SV, FC supporter, FC Tokyo supporters. I feel, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Then, well, talking of frustra- uh, frustration, Sam uh, Hiroshima and their supporters will be uh, frustrated not to have uh, yeah taken anything from this game against, as we said, a Tokyo team that came in having not won in four league games and. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter who's top after nine games, does it? But, uh, yeah, Hiroshima uh, ultimately had the chance, or they didn't know it, obviously, as they kicked off the match day on Saturday afternoon. But had they won on Saturday, they would have topped the pile uh, at the end of the match day with uh, all of the other occupants of the top six, uh, F. Marino's aside, dropping points. But, um, yeah, one of those where they just came up against an obdurate opponent for the second half and just weren't able to create anything, as we said, clear-cut to firstly, equalise and then go on and take anything from the game themselves? Yeah, they really struggled for any sort of clear-cut opportunity and as I said, and in every game really, that lack of clear clinical striker means that they ha- they just need a lot of chances to score goals. It's been the case in every game so far and Tokyo just really didn't offer them the opportunity for those chances especially in the second half. In the first half it was a little bit more open, they got in a little bit more. I thought Morishima's had one of his better games in that first half this season. I think he's been okay this year, but maybe not to the level of uh, last season. So he got a decent effort, other than his goal, obviously. There was that one where Koshimichi played him in. It was a good turn and shot, but over the bar. And then, yeah, occasionally they got into decent pockets of spaces. But, yeah, the second half, it was just a frustrating time for them. They threw players on. Um, obviously, Doug Vieira has had the Midas touch in recent weeks, but really nothing really got to him. I think he was pretty well marshaled by the defence, and I I know he scored a few goals, but I don't think he's that great a striker anyway, so I don't think he's got the movement that really can drag players out of position, and they didn't really do that, and Sotiriu eventually came on, he's been a massive disappointment ever since he joined, and yet they just were phased out, I think there were a couple of chances where they were kind of scuffed efforts from one from Morishima, which is clear. I think Shiotane had a deflected effort, but really they were kept at arm's length. So you've got to credit the uh, Tokyo defence. But it's going to be a problem for Hiroshima if other teams see this performance from Tokyo. I think if we just sit in against them and really cr- uh, cramp the space, it's like it take. It's going to need like moments of magic from Mitsuda and Morishima really to break down defences because they really can't rely on their striker to just take like a half chance and score. So, yeah, I think you, they might run up against other teams that take on Tokyo's second half performance and really make things difficult for them. 
Yeah, all right then. So uh, Tokyo brought the three points back to the capital with them and, um, yes, uh, moved back up to eighth in the table, having uh, yeah evened up their record at three wins, three draws and three losses after nine games. Coincidentally, their opponents uh, this coming weekend, uh, Niigata, uh, did the same, but uh, they did it with a loss at home to Kashima that uh, yeah we'll, uh, we'll chat about in uh, part two. They're also uh, on nine points after uh, nine match days. All right, then, Riol. Well, we really appreciate you uh, popping onto the podcast for the first time. And, uh, yes, the detail in your analysis was uh, absolutely top draw. So we very much appreciate that. Before we bid you adieu, though, um, yeah, please uh, feel free to plug uh, Shogun Soccer, how uh, our listeners can get their hand well, not their hands on it, but how <laughs> they can get to read it if they're not already. And also your Twitter, um, it's one of those with lots of underscores in it. So I wouldn't want to get it wrong. Uh, can you uh, fill the listeners on, in on uh, the exact uh, handle as well, please? Right. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, thanks, uh, Ben and Sam, for having me on the podcast. It's a it's a real pleasure. It's a real honor as well. You know, I've been a longtime listener, and you know, um, I you know I've talked to both of you and a lot of other uh, a lot of the, the other listeners, and you know, I've uh, obviously you know met a few of them. You know, this just this past weekend, just in these past several days, so it was really nice to, you know, meet uh, people uh, that, you know, that I talked to online face-to-face. So, yeah, thanks for that opportunity. Um, yeah, and in terms of uh, stuff from me, uh, yeah, so I'm the writer for um, Shogun Soccer, which is a pretty new uh, newsletter uh, talking pretty much anything about Japanese uh, football, Japanese soccer. Um yeah, mostly about the J League. I do talk sometimes about the national team as well. So yeah, Shogun Soccer. Uh, you can Google it, but it's um it's on um it's on the Substack uh, newsletter uh, platform. And um, yeah, my Twitter is r by Rio r underscore by uh, underscore Rio r y o. So yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Ben and Sam. Absolutely. It was our pleasure, Rio, and we certainly hope to do it again. So, yeah, once again, thanks for your time. And, yeah, we hope to speak to you again soon. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, hopefully next time, you know, I won't be on vacation. So I'll have had time to watch every match and, you know, we can go through every single one of them together. The the podcast will probably end up being like six hours ago. (laughs) We might have to start at 4 p.m. rather than 10. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant from you. We we really appreciate it. So thanks again to Riol. We'll uh, take a short break and then Sam and I will wrap up the rest of the action from Sunday. Welcome back, and uh, thanks again to Riol for uh, all of that in uh, part one. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, one of the better JTalk pod debuts I think we've ever had, Sam. And one thing I did forget to mention before we um, we moved off the Hiroshima-Tokyo game, we mentioned the quirks in the J-League, and it was a quirky result that Tokyo have won 2-1 in Hiroshima for the third straight season. Another quirk is that both the J-League and Google agree that the shots in that game were 12-3 to to Hiroshima so there you go um yeah wonders never cease and it it really was a a special J League match day when the things like that yeah is uh, is happening all right so we uh, we do have to move on and we still have six games from Sunday to review uh, usually we save draws 
for the end of the episode, Sam. But as we said in part one, uh, only one team in the top six at the start of the match day one. Uh, that was F. Barino's away at the leaders. So the yeah, there were some other draws involving uh, top uh, six uh, teams. So let's do them off the top in uh, part two. Nagoya hosted Shonan at the Toyota Stadium, and that finished. 2-2 uh, after the Shonan goal led a charmed life for much of the first half with the Kensuke Nagai denied twice. Uh, Rioya Morishita blasted host Grampus ahead from six yards four minutes before half time after Song Bum Kyun saved a Kasper Junker header but couldn't claim the ball. And it looked, Sam, like a Grampus were heading for a regulation victory and the top of the table themselves after a Shinotsuke Nakatani header put them two up five minutes after the break. But it was not to be a regulation home win for Grampus after all, was it? No, I mean, it all kicked off a bit after this, but up until the 50th minute and uh, Nakatani scoring, it was one-way traffic. I thought Nagoya were very good. I thought they outplayed Shonan pretty much from the start. They Shonan were kept in it by Song again. I thought he was fantastic again. And Nagai had one of his days where, yeah, it's not very clinically in front of goal and misses uh, Barn Door. So, yeah, there were plenty of chances. One where... I think it was like a three-on-one counter-attack. I think it ended up being a Nagai shoots instead of maybe squaring for uh, Junker for a tap-in. So, oh, I think it might be Mateus. I can't remember. But even so, Nagoya were completely on top in the game. Yeah, once Nakatani scored for two for 2-0, you thought there was only uh, going to be one winner. But yeah, a bit like Marinos, I suppose. The um, response from Shonan was very good. And uh, they got a little bit of help in terms of getting their draw. But they, yeah, worked really hard second half. Yeah, absolutely. So six minutes after Nakatani had made it 2-0, uh, Naoki Yamada, who had come on for a crocked Tariq El Yanusi for Shonan uh, shortly before half time, uh, pulled one back for the visitors. And then uh, you'll remember, listeners, from part one, the, the VAR drop is still open for business. And uh, here we go. It's about to get messy in here, ladies and gentlemen. A uh, remarkable sequence began in the 73rd minute when uh, Yamada dashed into the box and appeared to be clipped by Nakatani as he uh, surged forward. No penalty was given, uh, much to Yamada and indeed uh, Shuto Machino, who was on the case's uh, yeah, appeals. Uh, basically, Nagoya went down the other end and uh, roughly 30 seconds later scored through a Mateus deflected strike, uh, only for VAR to finally pull it uh, right back for a look at the penalty incident, with uh, Shuto Machino finally equalising from the spot six minutes after the contact was made uh, on Yamada. So, um, obviously, Sam, this raises huge questions on the statute of limitations on uh, incidents and uh, how far back VAR can go. Um, a difficult one to summarise, and I'm not sure how good a job I've done of it there, but uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, as a whole? Um, yeah, basically, Nagoya thinking they've gone 3-1 up, as you said back in part one, but they're ending up after all this VAR stuff with, uh, yeah, the game uh, equal at 2-2. I think I'd have been more amazed if almost exactly the same hadn't happened a few hours earlier in the day, but yeah, it's <laughs> still quite remarkable. And I suppose because it's a penalty decision, which is one of the areas that VAR can look at, and the ball hasn't left the field of play, so there's no point to break it up. They have to look at it. And yeah, we haven't seen it happen in the J-League before. I don't think, well, until uh, Sunday in both games, in two games. But 
uh, it is something that can happen with VAR. Yeah, we've we've seen this sort of incident in other leagues and whatnot, and it's been called back from a long way. The worst, the strangest one I remember was in uh, the Premier League when I think the game had actually finished and it came back for a Manchester United penalty, which was great to see. So there are quirks in VAR that can happen, and uh, this is just one of those. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, Nagoya will be cursing their luck, although they got a little bit fortunate with the goal that didn't actually count in the deflection. But yeah, it went back, Yamada's nicked in. I, I mean, I think he kind of half initiates the contact himself, but Nakatani stretches out that leg. He leaves a decision to be made, and once it's checked by VAR, um, it's awarded. But yeah, it's a wild scene of events. But strangely, it's not the wildest version of this that we saw on the day. Yes, indeed. So we'll come on to events up at the Sapporo Dome in a couple of games' time. But, um, yeah, Nagoya could, uh, yeah, in some respects feel uh, pretty hard done to. And, well, I mean, they still had a chance, obviously, to dust themselves down with 10 minutes and what turned into, obviously, a lengthy uh, period of second-half stoppage time still to go. But, um, yes, they were another team who uh, ultimately blew the chance to go top again there's no trophy for that after nine match days but um yes uh, you'd obviously rather be as high in the table as you can be as you work your way through the season so um yeah frustration for grampus a another um pleasing point for sean and their supporters sam they uh, they obviously held the defending champions last week at home and, and could have won that game through koskeono say very late on um and yes they've uh, they've drawn away at the team second in the table and um yeah bit of a teaser that uh sean and might be involved in my uh, game to watch in the uh, the match day 10 slate that's uh, coming up at the end of the episode all right so we'll we'll move on the uh, the next draw was at the uh, todoroki where Kawasaki hosted Urawa. And we mentioned with Ralph Seidel last week that though obviously uh, Reds would have had one eye on their preparations for the ACL final, Sam. They they certainly had the opportunity to boot a rival while they were down. Frontale very much struggling for uh, for form for and most importantly for results uh, in the early stages of this uh, new campaign. And indeed, they're still down in the bottom six after nine match days have been played. Uh, but uh, the change that we mooted might be coming on last week's episode uh, did, in fact, occur. So maybe uh, Toru Uniki is a JTalk listener after all, as we have long suspected, as uh, Naoto Kamifukamoto replaced the longtime number one Junsung Ryong between the sticks for the four times champions in his uh, first league appearance for Frontale. How did Akami Fukumoto do overall for you? Yeah, fine. Didn't really have too much to do. What I had to do, he was palmed a couple of efforts away. It was, yeah, fine. He was less, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Less of a threat to his own team with the way that he was passing the ball out from the back. (laughs) Uh, It was pretty solid in that. So I thought he had a reasonable game. But, uh, yeah, this wasn't one where there were plenty of chances coming against him. It was a, a fairly dull one. Like, Kawasaki, they made a couple of changes. Like, obviously, Kamafukamoto as you mentioned and he obviously wasn't listening when I said that Tachi, I like Tachibanajo and I thought he was the one that you shouldn't drop because he dropped him as well in midfield brought uh, Waki Zaka back in and Schmidt played and uh, Ominami was also dropped so they st- stuck with Kota Takai the 18 year old at centre back so it was a little bit of a change in terms of personnel they were obviously high off thrashing Shimizu S-Pulse's youth team in midweek in the Levain Cup. But uh, it, the, the formation stayed the same. They didn't really change a great deal in, the, in terms of how they approached the game. And, uh, 
yeah, they kind of struggled. Yes, they eventually took the lead, but I thought they very they didn't have too much possession. And they ended up with like 38%, which for a Kawasaki team is very, very low. Mm. And uh, yeah, didn't create too many chances either. I don't think other than the goal, they didn't really test them until Schmidt hit the post late on. And the Reds were fairly comfortable defensively, but they don't. I don't think they play particularly well either compared to how they have done this season. It was, um, yeah, not that maybe they had one eye on the Champions League. I don't know, but it wasn't like I think of, of all the games this weekend, this was maybe one of the the duller affairs. Right. I mean, well, yeah. Ralph mentioned last week that even after they were a man to the good against um, Sapporo, that yeah, it did uh, it did take them a long time to break break them down, didn't it? And uh, and ultimately run out uh, comfortable winners in that game. And yeah, they um, they they scratched around a bit, I think Reds, but they weren't really uh, testing Kami Fukumoto too much. Uh, although um, I think Second A and uh, maybe Koizumi had a, a couple of chances from uh, from long range. But uh, yeah, as you said, Frontale took the lead shortly after the break when. Uh, Akihiro Ianaga was uh, sent away down the right and his uh, chipped cross was controlled on his thigh and then hooked into the net at close range by uh, Yasuto Wakizaka. And uh, by, by the way, I think dropping Tachibanada was maybe just a smoke, uh, smoke screen. Sam, I'm sure Oniki is a listener and uh, yeah, but he probably just did that to throw you uh, off the scent. Um, in the 66th minute, Wakizaka shot into traffic after a terrific work down the left to dis- uh, dispossess Alex Schultz by Dayatono. But yes, the chances were at a premium. But um, again, with the VAR drop open, Sam, uh, Reds were in utter disbelief that they weren't awarded a penalty after a lengthy delay uh, with VAR checking from so many angles. I don't know how many angles he needed to see that uh, the uh, Frontale defender Kota Takai booted uh, Shinzo Kuroki into next week. Oh, this is unbelievable. This is perhaps the worst bar decision I've seen in the J League. I mean, it's so obvious. And I was it took two or three minutes for them to check. And I was thinking, well, this is the clearest decision you're ever going to see. Why is it taking so long? I had that rant prepared. And then for them to not give the penalty was just unbelievable. The ball's into Karaki. He gets he stands in front of uh, Kota Takai, who just swings through and boots him in the back of the calf. It's as clear a penalty <laughs> as you'll see. He's almost cleared Karaki up to halfway. It was that obvious. And uh for them not to give that, I think it's one of the most baffling decisions I have ever seen. I, I mean, how many apologies have the J-League had to dish out already this season? But I think they have to draft up another one for Uraro because this was an absolutely appalling decision from the VAR. It was just, he, he clearly just doesn't want to make a decision or he's worried about showing up his refereeing colleague or something because there is no reason, logically, that he can watch this footage and determine it's not a penalty. It's just as obvious as they come. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Th- there's nothing. <coughs> there's nothing I can add to that, uh, listeners. If you're curious, yeah, uh, I think the clip is doing the rounds, and um, I don't know. Maybe Sam can retweet it or something. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's remarkable that the penalty wasn't given. And I mean, that was in the 70th minute. There was almost salt rubbed into Reds's wounds seven minutes later when Jao uh, Schmidt, as uh, Sam's mentioned, let fly from 25 yards the ball uh, hit Shusaku Nishikawa's left-hand post then came back off the keeper and uh, rolled ominously towards the line with uh, Nishikawa able to spring to his feet and claim it before it crossed the line but uh, yeah that would have been uh, 
that would have been a killer had that uh, gone in. But, uh, yeah, Schmidt, a, a very powerful drive, no question. But the Reds got their equaliser nine minutes from time when Takia Ogiwara squared for Brian Linson, who had only been on for eight minutes before uh, firing in a crisp first-time finish that beat Kami Fukumoto to his left. So, um, yes, the uh, the shares spoiled. I was a, the, no, they weren't. The, the, <laughs> I've done it again. The spoils were shared. <laughs> For some reason, that's, uh, yeah, it's like the table's turn, the turntables. Yeah, I, uh, I can't get that on a weekly basis. But, um, yeah, don't worry, listeners, I'll leave that in. And, um, yeah, so uh, Frontale, as we said, uh, fourth from bottom, uh, Reds fourth from top after uh, nine match days. And um, I, I guess as an aside, Sam, before we move on, uh, yes, Reds have a, obviously a huge one coming up this weekend. It's the first leg of the ACL final away at uh, Al-Hilal. Um, I mean, they, uh, it's safe to say they don't come uh, challenges don't come any bigger in Asian football. Um, if they could come back with a draw, I'm sure um, Maciej Scorsia would bite your hand off at the moment with... Uh, with a result like that, if you could promise him that. But, um, yeah, what, what's your outlook for, for the first leg? Uh, I guess uh, how well have the Reds prepared themselves throughout the first nine match days of the the J1 season, do you think? I think after like, settling in for the first couple of games, they've looked reasonable. I think they're very solid defensively, which is going to be uh, key against Al-Hilal, who've got plenty of attacking uh, riches. They've got they won their semi-final 7-0, so you know that's going to be a real threat uh, to Reds. But I think they've they've settled into the way that Scorcher wants them to play. I think they're struggling still to maybe see out games or get the um, to score enough goals necessarily, but I think they've put themselves in a reasonable position. It's going to be a really difficult game over in Saudi Arabia. The crowd is going to be magnificent for Al-Hilal. It's going to be a difficult atmosphere to deal with. They've just got to keep it as tight as possible. Even if it's a one-goal defeat, I think they would still take that going into the second leg at Saitama, which, again, it looks like they're going to maybe sell out or get close to that. It's going to be a really good atmosphere at Saitama. So I guess just keep themselves into the game, uh, into the tie, sorry, no more than a goal down, then they've got themselves a decent chance. But yeah, it's, it should be a fascinating fixture. And uh, yeah, it's, I still think Al-Halal are probably quite clear favourites. But yeah, Reds, um, their performances, I think, I don't see them being blown away necessarily. I think they'll keep themselves tied, keep themselves a chance. It's just, have they got that clinical edge about them to take whatever chances come their way? And I think that might be where they fall down. But uh, yeah, it's a really interesting one. Obviously, Hiroshima supporters are going to be looking on interested as well, because if Reds win the final, that means that uh, Hiroshima are out of the Champions League for the next season. So, yeah, plenty at stake over the next couple of weeks uh, in the Asian Champions League. Yeah, should be two massive games. It goes without saying, as they should be. And, um, yeah, we uh, we wish Reds uh, all the best over in Saudi Arabia. And, uh, yeah, hope they can uh, bring back a result that they can, um, yeah, take into the second leg and get the job done. Ultimately, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll chat about the first leg, obviously, in next week's episode. All right, so uh, we mentioned that Frontale made a change in goal uh, this past weekend. Uh, well, both teams did uh, for good measure up at the Sapporo Dome when the Sapporo hosted Fukuoka. Of course, uh, Avispa up into the top six uh, coming into this match day, and they finished it there as well after a, a 2-2 draw. So, yes, both teams made changes in goal. Takanori Sugano came uh, in for... Gu Sung Yun for the host Consadole. Gu wasn't in the matchday squad. Well, uh, Masaki Murakami came in for Takumi Nagaishi 
for visiting Fukuoka. And uh, poor old Murakami was beaten twice inside the first 15 minutes. The first Takuma Arano blasted Consadole into a fifth-minute lead after superb work down the right by Takuro Kaneko. Then in the 13th minute, the hosts went coast-to-coast. Yuya Asano finishing off the move from Lucas Fernandez's cutback. Uh, Lukian lashed over for the visitors in first half stoppage time, uh, but they got themselves back into the game six minutes after the restart when Kazuya Konno crossed from the right and Yuya Yamagishi sent a header back across Sugino and inside the far post. So we've obviously got some more VAR drama and, well, incidents, uh, ridiculousness to chat about, Sam. But, um, yeah, Sapporo making such a fast start. But as uh, TD lamented in the uh, the Patrononi line group, yet again, uh, they've thrown away a result from a, a dominant position. I mean, obviously, Fukuoka had so much time to get back into the game after uh, uh, Sapporo scored twice inside 15 minutes. But, um yeah, a, a real seesawing affair, I think we can say. Yeah, it's not in Sapporo or believe Mitra Petrovic's DNA to try and see out a game. So they're always going to leave themselves a little bit open. But it's such a shame for them because they started so well. They're right on the front foot. You have to unsettle a Visper early. They went back to their back three uh, with Grawley uh, fit to come in. But I don't know what I don't understand the changing of goalkeepers at a Visper. But it just kind of like they made Nagaishi the scapegoat maybe for the three goals they conceded last week, and then though I don't think he had a chance with any of them. I don't think it would have anything to do with him, but Murakami came in. They just loved to swap around for some reason, but nothing really Murakami could have done with the two goals. Kanako uh, played really well down that right-hand side, I think. Uh, this season, I think he's been fantastic. And for them to be able to get Lucas Fernandez back from injury as well and play on either side, I think that gives them such a threat uh, from both sides. So it looked positive from an attacking point of view. They were really good to get 2-0 up and it looked like they were cruising. But yeah, it's just Sephora. They can't defend or choose not to defend half the time. And uh, Avispa managed to get themselves back into the game in that first half and then started the second half really well. Connell's ball in is magnificent, just cuts back. Pings it to the back post. Yamagishi with a header. I think maybe Sugano could have done a little bit better. It was kind of caught under it. But, yeah, take nothing away from the the uh, the cross and the header. So, yeah, Vispa right back in it there. But, I mean, all action breaks. <laughs> Two minutes later, it's just, yeah, a wild uh, course of events. I mean, yeah, Asano takes the ball on halfway and scores. Like, unbelievable goal. Like, goal of the season. And then to have that brought back for a somewhat dodgy handball at the other end. I mean, he must be feeling absolutely devastated today. But, yeah, it's just another... What did you make of uh, this course of events? Uh, well, I mean, it's, yes, yeah, so uh, so similar to the uh, the nagoya Shonan one, obviously, with, um, yeah, Ryota Aoki. Well, it looked to me like he chested down the ball as it bounced across the Sapporo penalty area. I mean, Lukian put his hand up for a penalty. I mean, that's just what strikers do, isn't it? When it hits the upper body of a defender, they just they just appeal for a penalty, even though I don't think Lukian thought there was anything in it himself. But then, yeah, for for this goal to not stand, uh, this goal to be just lost to history now, um, is, well, it's just a crime against humanity, I think. And, you know, VAR... Um, have a heart, man. I mean, come on, this is this is just ridiculous. I mean, I t- talked about the statute of limitations 
before. I mean, wasn't there one in um, Liverpool's game recently when where Trent Alexander Arnold again easy for me to say controlled uh, off his arm and uh, wasn't it five seconds later when Mo, Mo Salah scored and the VAR said it wasn't um, it was yeah it was it was too far back for him to check. I mean, what, what's going on in different parts of the world here? I mean, um, Asano scoring from five yards inside the Fukuoka half off a step. Um, I mean, you know, it's Murakami. All right, he's channel he's channeling uh, Ikura miles off his line. But I mean, to 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 have the audacity to to attempt something like that, Asano, and then the the technique and the um, yeah, the the skill to just to, to execute it to an absolute T is um well it's it's just unbelievable and yeah as you say to, for this to not stand um yeah it's it's just wrong and um yeah I can hear Pickle in the background obviously wants to chime in on it as well and I fully understand your your frustration Pickle because uh, yeah it's uh, yeah, it's one of those where people would just want to bin VAR off, and you know it's got its um, it's got its charms occasionally when they they get they do get things right that um, were uh, were mistaken. But in this case, yeah, this is uh, I don't think it's a clear and obvious handball off Alki in the first place. So um, for me, I wouldn't have given it. Um, you know, Fukuoka don't care because uh, yeah, Lukians are slotted away again. It's it's a full five minutes after the. Um, after the ball hits Alki for uh, everything to be taken care of and Lukian slots the penalty away. But, um, yeah, I don't think I, – I, I can't make sense of it, mate. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm knocking the dog, really. I mean, I think you might just still be <laughs> still be angry that Liverpool got away with one, as they usually do, but we'll move on, <laughs> move on from that. But, yeah, I just – first of all, yeah, you, how do you do – how would, can you have a heart and disallow this goal for something so tenuous? I mean, it was not clear. It's like – I think if Alki had – like brutally attacked Lukian, then yeah, give a penalty. But this is a borderline handball. It did, they put the VAR video up, and it's like they had four boxes of showing a different angle. How are you supposed to follow that? What are you looking at? And it looks a little bit different on all of them. I think it hits somewhere between his sleeve, and maybe it hits his arm one eye angle. It maybe hits his lower down. The other ones, it looks like it's higher up. It's not a clear and obvious error for them to. I mean, it's, it's just anti-fun if you're taking away a, a goal like that for maybe a handball that you can't really tell across all the all the different angles. I think it's just ridiculous. I don't, yeah, not a penalty for me. I and mean, they've got a little bit fortunate uh, of this, but, but who, they're not going to care, are they? <laughs> they got back to two-two, but yeah, it's a it's an absolute crime that Asano's goal. And not that you should be judging by decisions based on the quality of goal you're rolling out, but yeah, this should be an exception in my book. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And again, I can't remember off the top of my head, but Fukuoka might have been hard done to on a couple of occasions through VAR this season, and their supporters will say, "Well, yeah, we were due one." And if if it if it does hit the arm of Alki, then it doesn't matter what sort of goal Asano scores. But um, yeah, for uh, for us neutrals in this particular game, uh, it's just a crying shame that uh, that goal uh, will be lost to history. But um, yeah, sorry to move on to supporters of, of both of these these teams for for the last half hour of this game. But um, yeah, Lukian scored in the 58th minute and it ended 2-2 after that. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the next game as we still have three to do. Um, well, Sam, you, you pegged a Kashima game 
as the you one to watch again for the second straight week. And this time, well, they uh, they actually turned up and uh, or maybe it's safe to say that Niigata didn't because, uh, yes, uh, Albert X obviously fresh off a Ryotaro Ito inspired victory last week when he scored a, a simply stunning hat trick. Uh, well, yes, it wasn't their day at home against Kashima on Saturday, uh, on Sunday, rather. It got off to a uh, a very difficult start when their keeper, Ryosuke Kojima, completely misjudged a uh, Rikuto Hirose cross to the back post and uh, Yuma Suzuki arrived to plant a uh, leaping header into the net in just the third minute. Uh, with the 15 minutes played, Antlers then hit the post twice inside 10 seconds through Shintaro Nago and Yuta Higuchi, but they didn't have to wait much longer before going 2-0 up. An inventive chip from Suzuki volleyed in superbly on the swivel by goal machine Yuki Kakita uh, in the 26th minute. Sam Niigata huffed and puffed in the second half, but the Antlers threw bodies on the line and held on for their first league win in six games. Yeah, they did. It was a good defensive display once they went 2-0 up. I think Niigata really didn't look like getting back into the game, but, I mean, they've got to be so frustrated. You go... You've come up at home against a team that has just been walloped and are at their lowest moment in years. And to defend as poorly as they did, like Kashima didn't. Like it's just what they've been doing in every game. It's just a hopeful long ball. And the goalkeeper gets underneath it. Michael Fitzgerald just leaves Yuma Suzuki. He was like, isn't that hard to mark? You've got to find him. He's there. You can. He's clearly their biggest threat. Leaves him just to allow him to, to tap it in. And to, for them to then go 1-0 up after about three minutes, I mean, it just eases all that pressure that would be on them. Because the longer that game went, that they weren't winning, the crowd, well, the uh, way support would get on their back, the confidence would go. But just, yeah, to allow them in so easily is so disappointing for Niigata. And defensively, they were so poor in this first half. Yeah, uh, Kashima could have had a couple more. They hit the post a couple of times. And then the second goal, it's again, it's another long diagonal ball that they don't deal with. And Zai nods it down. It's fantastic play from Suzuki, the flick up uh, to Yuki Kakuta. And uh, yeah, I think he shins it first onto his toe. It's not necessarily the most <laughs> ortho- orthodox finish. But it was a delightful one for him and a delightful one for Scott McIntyre, who would immediately message me. I think he, he maybe had that lined up for about 12 months or whenever Kakita's last goal was. But yeah, he, was, he must have been <laughs> delighted and maybe he's on his way uh, to that long-awaited golden boot. But yeah, it was, it was a good for Kashima. The delighted for them in terms of they get a monkey off their back maybe. They might take a bit of confidence here, but... I think Niigata really let themselves down. I mean, just keep it tight for a few minutes and, yeah, maybe Kashima would have would have crumbled. But, yeah, just a really poor defensive display. Yeah, very frustrating for uh, for Albinex. I think, um, yeah, Kakita's goal wouldn't have stood in tennis. It was definitely a double hit, but, um, yeah, he won't care. And, uh, yeah, recalled uh, to the starting lineup and uh, made the most of his opportunity with, as you said, uh, yeah, a, a, a lovely piece of play to set him up by Suzuki. So, all right, the uh, the pressure eases somewhat, uh, we suppose, on uh, Daiki Iwamasa. It's still, uh, 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 yeah, a long way uh, looking up the table, still in the bottom six antlers after uh, nine match days. But with, um, yeah, I guess it's clogging up in mid-table. They they could argue that they're, uh, yeah, they're two points behind 
eighth placed FC Tokyo. And if they were to argue that, they would be mathematically correct. So uh, we'll wait and see if they can build on that performance. Um, and uh, well, yeah, Niigata will be looking to bounce back, as we said in part one, when they travel up to face FC Tokyo, who have an identical record as them uh, this coming weekend. All right, another away victory, this time at the Sanga Stadium when the Kyoto hosted Tosu, though it was the hosts who took the lead when Yuta Toyokawa controlled across from deep on the left with his chest, brought the ball down onto his right foot and blasted through the hands of Park Il-Gyu in the 21st minute. But Tosu started to take control of this game just 82 seconds later when they equalised through Yuji Ono, who headed in a cross off the inside of Tomoya Wakahara's right-hand post. And just past the half hour, the visitors went in front with a brilliant header from a corner. Uh, Unfortunately for Kyoto, it was an own goal from Kazunari Ichimi, whose uh, bullet header flew in past a bemused Wakahara. Uh, Four minutes before the break, a goal to warm the cockles of my heart, Sam, as uh, Fuchi... (laughs) You knew it was coming, didn't you? As uh, Fuchi Honda blasted in and Ono cut back from uh, just inside the penalty spot to make it 3-1 to Tosu, while uh, Ichimi's day went from bad to early shower when he was uh, shown a straight red card for catching Masaya Tashiro with his studs on the defender's shin uh, six minutes after the break. I guess the most surprising thing about this uh, incident, Sam, is it took, uh, yeah, Ichimi looked on in disbelief when the referee brandished a red card. Um, I'm pretty sure if you checked out Tashiro's shin, uh, you'd have about four or five stud marks right down it. That was quite funny. I love the audacity of Ichimi to look so shocked that he'd been given a red card. It's a clear red card, studs up quite high up the shin. I mean, and it took him forever to get off the field. They just couldn't get rid of him. He was adamant that he wasn't wasn't going. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just summed up his day, I suppose. It was just a terrible day at the office for Ichimi after the uh, own goal as well. And uh, yeah, it was just. Kyoto just fell apart. They took the lead and they started really well and uh, eventually got the lead through a helping hand from Park who just allowed it straight through him. But immediately from the kickoff, they concede and very easily. They just don't get anywhere near anybody during the attack as Kawahara, I think, starts it and it's a good ball in the end for Ono. And then, like, Tosu scored three goals in this game. They only scored six in the previous eight. So to allow them to score three goals, considering they don't really have anybody who can score, is just a criminal from Kyoto. They were really, really poor and, uh, yeah, deservedly were 3-1 down at the near start of the, at the end of the first half. Second half, yeah, Tosu didn't really take advantage of the extra man they had. They didn't really create chances. Because, I mean, Kyoto sat in more damage limitation. Sanga aren't good enough to rate that. It's not Sanga. Saga I shouldn't share similar letters. Uh, but they couldn't break uh, Kyoto down. And uh, it just kind of... Kyoto were still in it, strangely, towards the end as they got a VAR-reviewed penalty for handball, a clear handball from Harada, really stupid defending just a handball in that situation. So they got it back to 3-2, but really uh, too little too late. And uh, they've you know, given Tosu uh, victory. It was, um, yeah, Kyoto just got to be furious with themselves, considering they'd given themselves such a start and then to completely disintegrate in that first half. 
Yeah, not something you associate with them, is it? Is uh, yeah mm-hmm. to completely switch off after uh, after taking the lead, especially as it was yeah somewhat fortuitous with uh, with Park um, yeah making a really poor attempt to save. But uh, yeah, Harada uh, was uh, heavily involved in the last uh, 15 minutes or so, wasn't he? He hit the bar uh, with the header with 12 minutes left, and then as you say, Sam, really poor to give away that penalty that I guess gave. Sanga a chance in the uh, that well can, it was when it was finally converted by uh, the sub Koske Kinoshka in the second minute of uh, stoppage time. It was at nine announced by the uh, the assistant and it actually turned into thirteen. Obviously with the the, the that late Varchek uh, adding uh, to the uh, the amount of time to be added on. But uh, yes, yeah, Sanga were able to. Uh, sorry, again, I made the same mistake as you. <laughs> Saga. So, well, they are exactly the same letters. They're just in different order, aren't they? Yeah. Saga unable to uh, to hang on for a third win of the season. And uh, so then, listeners, uh, finally to the final game of the match day. And it was the only one won by the home team. Uh, Cerezo Osaka hosted Kashiwa Reisol. And uh, after Hirotaka Tamida hit the post for the hosts from uh, 30 yards in the eighth minute, Reisol were punished for their own sloppiness. 15 minutes later, an uncharacteristic error from Mateus Savio presented the ball to Shinji Kagawa. He slipped in Leo Ciara. And from there, uh, Ciara squared for Seiya Maikuma, who slotted away his first league goal of the season. Uh, Savio almost made amends just uh, two minutes later, but his curler from just inside the box came back off the bar with the Kaya Sento lashing a volley just wide on the rebound. A minute before the break, Sento surged through the center after a loose pass from Ciara, but dragged his shot just wide of uh, Kim Jin Hyun's right-hand post. But uh, again, a another frustrating afternoon for Raisol Sam, who stayed second from bottom. Uh, some bright moments from Cerezo, but they really didn't have to do too much, did they, to, uh, to climb up to seventh in the table with a second straight win? No, it was relatively comfortable for them once Kashiwa had uh, pl- presented the goal on a plate, really. And uh, it's what they've tried to cut out in the last few weeks and had done to a degree. But, yeah, it's a shame for them that it's uh, come back and haunted them. Just a real poor individual error from Mateo Savio, just casually playing it out from the back. Yeah, good credit to Cerezo, the way they pressed, even Kagawa getting involved in the press, which is good to see. And they were clinical in taking that goal. And yeah, there were a couple of chances for Raysal to get back into it. But Cerezo, they're a team, once you go, they go 1-0 up, they're pretty happy to sit in. And they're usually quite solid. And there was limited chances after the the couple that you mentioned. Uh, In the first half, second half, it was very little. It was a tame header at the goalkeeper from Mateo Savio. But Really, Cerezo were quite comfortable, didn't necessarily create a great deal themselves, but uh, yeah, they settled in for that 1-0, and they're kind of the dull version of Sapporo, because they kind of win one, lose one, and they're not really any sort of consistency, but not really as exciting necessarily as Sapporo, but if they can settle themselves in, they're only three points off the top three, that's where they would be looking to challenge at the start of this year, so they've certainly got the players to make a run for that, they just need to yeah, get a little bit more of more consistency, which uh, yeah, is easier said than done. Indeed, indeed. All right, then. So with the, that, then, as we said, the only home win of the match day, uh, that is uh, J1 match day nine wrapped up then. And uh, before we finish, we will look ahead ever so briefly 
to match day 10 coming up this weekend. Keeping in mind, listeners, that, of course, Urawa's home game with Tosu has been moved to uh, the 10th of May, a Wednesday, uh, of course, due to the ACL final first leg and indeed second leg. They'll, uh, their next um, uh, fixture will be rearranged as well. Uh, Reds travelling to Al-Hilal for the first leg this weekend. And once again, uh, can't be said uh, too many times, we wish them all the best for that. Um, I think there's a, an obvious uh, Sam's pick of the match day, Sam, with the, the eight games uh, to be played on Saturday. So are you going to take the the easy pickings? What is Sam's pick of Saturday? Sam's pick of Saturday. No, probably not. I don't, well, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm going for the Albapucci derby, the FC Tokyo versus Niigata game. Obviously, okay. Uh, yeah, I just think it's got more storyline to it, I think, just with Pucci going back. Obviously, Niigata have built on what he'd done, and they've generally, except this weekend, but they've generally played really well. And, uh, yeah, it's just, just maybe a, uh, it's just yeah an interesting storyline, Pucci going against his former club. I think it should be a really interesting clash of styles. It, it shouldn't really be, but it seems to be the way that Tokyo are playing. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how those two teams mesh up against each other. Obviously, influences from Pucci in, in both of them. I think it should be a really interesting game. I can't really call it. It's one of those where... Yeah, I'm not really sure if Tokyo are going to, like, they should have more space, maybe, but the, how do they deal with that press from Niigata? I mean, it's going, they've not dealt with it in most games this season, so it's going to be an interesting test for them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, likewise, how do Alberts combat with Pucci? Who knows exactly how they're going to play? So I think that's the most intriguing battle. I wanted to leave Shonan to you, as you hinted earlier, that, uh, that might be one of the, uh, your games of the week, but obviously the other one, I think, is the one you were hinting at was the F. Marinos Nagoya game, which again, certain clash of styles in terms of Nagoya are going to be happy to sit in and counter attack. Marinos generally like to be on the front foot, but also can counter attack. So, yeah, two very interesting games at 3 p.m. your time, I think. I'm not sure. But yeah, you've done well it. there, absolutely. Yeah, yep. There we go. So, yeah. Um, uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, talk us through your pick, the sh- probably the Shonan game, as you alluded to earlier. Well, yeah, you've stolen my thunder there picking two games. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I was assuming you were going to pick the uh, the battle of third hosting second. So uh, you threw me for a bit of a loop there uh, with the uh, the Albert Pucci derby, which I'll be watching through my fingers uh, from behind the sofa. But, um, yeah, I, I would have picked uh, Kobe hosting Shonan. Um as we've seen on uh, on Saturday night, uh, Kobe with a very impressive performance, but not taking the three points. Uh, both of their losses this season have come at home. Of course, the first was to Reds. And uh, yeah, as I said, we're wrapping Shonan's game up um, against Nagoya. They've uh, they've got draws in their last two games against the, the, the two teams who are facing off at the Nissan Stadium. And it sounds like Pickle might be a fan of my choice as well. So yeah, for me, it's a Kobe versus Shonan. And if... Uh, if Shonan can make it three uh, positive results on the spin against a, uh, well, not only a top three uh, opponent, of course, the table toppers, then yes, if there is a winner in the uh, F Marido's Nagoya game, then they will go top uh, after 10 match days. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll double you up as well, Sam. Uh, I mean, uh, there's obviously a lot of intrigue in Kashima versus Gumba. You, uh, listeners might argue that there's, uh, they're wondering why we're picking Kashima every week while they're still in the bottom six. But I mean, yeah, these are two legitimate 
giants of the J League that have both really struggled at the start of the season and um, are separated by three points, but both down in the bottom six. So, um, yeah, it could be desperate measures at the Kashima Soccer Stadium when those two big fish face off. But, um, yeah, so the eight games of uh, J1 Match Day 10 will be played on Saturday. We'll be back to wrap them up alongside, as we said, the first leg of the ACL final. And um, we'll, we'll try and come in under two hours next week, Sam. But no promises. We have had a ball on this episode. It was absolutely tremendous to catch up with uh, Rio, uh, someone who I've been interested in in getting uh, onto the podcast for quite a while. And I guess, uh, yeah, we, we really have to thank him for taking time out of his uh, trip down to Kansai to join us in part one. It was um, absolutely tremendous. And as we said, we hope to speak to him again. And um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to catching up with you again next week to uh, to chat about all these uh, fascinating games on the slate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks to Rio. Always, it's always fascinating to listen to um, to read his work. I mean, he's been going for a number of years now, producing fantastic uh, analysis of the J League, something a little bit different. And yeah, great to get his views on a few games and always good to speak to you and wrap up the wonderful world of the J League. I mean, Pickle is not delighted that it's gone over two hours. She was promised a walk once it's, once it's ended, so she maybe would prefer the shorter episode. But yeah, I've certainly enjoyed a good couple of hours uh, speaking to you both. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I, I think she's just kicking off about all these VAR incidents, mate, so don't worry. She'll uh, she'll be patient enough for a walk, uh, I, I'm sure. All right, so we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the JTOG podcast. Uh, Sam and I would like to thank uh, Rio Nakagawara very much for his time in part one. We'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 10. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.